Welcome to the Left Wingers podcast. I'm Brandon. And I'm Kathleen. Today we are in conversation with Olivia Blake, MP for Sheffield Hallam and currently Shadow Minister or Future Minister for Nature, Water and Flooding. Thank you for joining us, Olivia. Hello. Nice to join you both. It's great to have you on. Uh, we're going to jump straight into the conversation and we're going to start off really at the start of your political journey. What would you say was your journey into politics and do you think that your upbringing at all affected how you got into politics and your politics today? Yeah definitely <laughs> so um, yeah so that's a really interesting question really because I kind of think there's a couple of flashpoints in my teens that that kind of actually got me pretty motivated about certain issues and one of them was the Iraq war you know I was 14 when that was kicking off and very very active in my Labour Party when when I joined the Labour Party then against that which obviously a lot of members felt at the time so it was it was interesting like going on marches with other members of the Labour Party against it even though it was the Labour Party who were, were kind of in charge at that point but yeah I think the kind of that for me was really an interesting thing to be a part of because there was such a strength of feeling that was ignored and for me that kind of showed that actually we need to have more devolved power um, and I know issues of war are always going to be taken nationally but I think there's so many different things throughout the past 10 years in particular which have meant that more and more decisions are being taken away from communities so that was something that I was really really passionate about and have been for a long time and it's kind of been the golden thread through my political career as it were. And then the other one was really uh, around the time I was at university I was living in Sheffield and uh, Nick Clegg would parade around and tell us that he was going to scrap Trident and uh, get rid of tuition fees and I was like oh and which Tory government is going to allow you to do that then in a conversation that I had with (laughs) which did make him blush so there we go and now I represent the same seat as he does he did so it all comes around but I was really upset to see so many of my friends kind of be betrayed in in a way and kind of like the real kind of cuts that hit the university it wasn't just about fees it was also about the the changes and the structural changes that they've made to universities which were really really prevalent I uh, was a student in receipt of a partial grant grants have now been completely scrapped and replaced with extra loans you know EMA disappeared all these other issues that were really really important to young people were just kind of some of the first things to go really so then kind of off the back of that, I got much more active in the Labour Party. Uh, I had to work as well as getting a partial grant at uni to support myself to be at university, like a lot of young people do. So I also set up the Living Wage, well, set up and was involved actively and chaired the Living Wage campaign at the university, trying to get the university to adopt a living wage where I was employed by the student union. So that was a really fun campaign to be part of. And we did lots of different things and was really pleased to actually get the university and the student union to agree to pay the living wage at that point. 
think things have kind of shifted since then as the amounts have gone up and there's been different kind of privatizations and arms length companies which have come out of that as well so yeah I think those issues are still very relevant to young people today and kind of students who are who are having to work to support their studies so that kind of um led me to stand for the NEC which given how long the meetings are I think was pretty naive of me <laughs> but I didn't actually win but I, I came a close second and I was really pleased about that campaign and kind of had real fun with it and and you know met loads and loads of activists all across the country and it was really really a good thing to be involved in but you know I think that there were some negatives to it you know people called me a trot uh, you know, I was kind of painted as this far left radical who, you know, had come out of nowhere. And it's like, hang on a minute, I've been in the Labour Party since I was 14. And, you know, my mum is actually a Labour councillor, what was quite a senior Labour councillor at the time in Leeds. So, you know, very much my politics of Labour, bread and butter. So, yeah, that was an interesting dynamic on all of that as well. And then after that, I basically got headhunted to put my name forward for councils because one of the female councillors on, on Sheffield City Council kind of approached me and said, do you want to put your name in the hat, name in the hat in the ring, name in, name in the hat, whatever, <laughs> hat in the ring, because we've got this by-election in Fullwood, which is actually in Sheffield Hallam. So that was somewhere we'd never campaigned before. It was solidly lived down in the yellowest of yellow part of Sheffield Hallam at that point and it was such a great campaign I got selected and was really pleased to run such a fantastic campaign we got the contact rate up from zero to like 30 percent in like eight weeks it was like mega energy campaign and really scared the liberals <laughs> and they were like putting out loads and loads of leaflets and I just thought it was hilarious because I was like why are they so afraid of, of a student who's doing a PhD like this is this is bizarre. And then, um, you know, they put out some really funny leaflets when you look back of it. Unknown candidate from Leeds, even though I'd like lived in Sheffield for six years and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> it's just quite funny. And then from there, um, I actually got elected in Walkley Ward, which is where I was a councillor for six years. And I became deputy leader of the council, took on the finance portfolio because I was really passionate about austerity and being anti-it and trying to see what we can do. And really, that was kind of an eye-opening experience to the like level and impact of the cut on local government and what that meant in terms of decision-making. And again, that kind of golden thread of accountability and, and decisions being made closer to home was kind of really there for me. And, and you know, I took the quite brave decision in some some respects to uh, insource quite a lot of our services from cleaning to from IT from yeah ending our mega million capita contract <laughs> and things like that and being kind of like a young woman in charge of a 1.5 billion budget was quite a thing there wasn't many women in that cabinet role at the time I think that's still true today and I think that that's kind of been part of what I've been doing as an MP as well so I've, I've been on the public accounts committee I think it's really important that we you follow the money because that's how you find the problems in policy making so yeah that's kind of how I got into it and how I've ended up where I am then Sheffield Hallam came up and I just thought you know I've got I've got quite a lot of experience now why don't I stand for this you know it's not not seen as a winnable seat but we've got a chance and just decided to go for it and, you know, brought that same kind of energy that I'd brought to the previous elections I'd been involved in and uh, led a really quite active campaign with people from right across the party getting involved. And it was just really fantastic to see that kind of 
level of solidarity and and people working together for something and we won so by 700 votes but (laughs) 712 votes but you know that's enough and um and we did it so really really pleased to be where I am now and kind of hoping that uh, I can make a big impact. I can remember seeing the results come in and it was a really nice kind of ray of hope in what was overall quite a, a miserable election and really good to see um, Sheffield Hall bring in a Labour MP. What challenges do you think that you face different to other Labour MPs when the Liberals are the, the second party in your seat? Do you think you've got a different dynamic? Do you think you, you have to campaign differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's a three-way marginal. So the, the Tories are on our heels as well, which is, is kind of unusual. So, you know, a lot of people talk about like, oh, we have to talk to these voters or that voter or this type of voter. In Sheffield Hallam, you have to talk to everyone. You can't not talk to everyone. And we we campaigned really, really hard and we're, we're having multiple conversations with people to try and change their minds. I mean, obviously, there were some issues with the previous MP. And people were very concerned about that. So we had to keep on going back and talking to the same people over and over again to build that trust and show that, you know, we were going to work hard for the area and and, and be kind of out Lib Dem the Lib Dems in terms of community involvement. And I think my experience as a councillor is actually really helpful in that. And, you know, we had the trees issue. So I think some people thought that Labour would never win because we had had that issue in in, um, in Sheffield at the time as well, which was really quite a difficult <laughs> difficult political issue and a hot potato, but, you know, one that I'd, I'd been part of the resolution of. So, yeah, it was kind of like there was a number of things that we weren't trusted on and that we had to rebuild the trust around, which was different. The seat has a lot of well-educated people. We have, like, most of the hospital staff, most of the university staff live in my area, students as well very very highly engaged in politics and and um really looking into the details of of different policies so I think you know Brexit was obviously a big thing in Hallam because nearly some nearly 66 percent or something voted remain and so I'm a big remainer and that was coming up all the time as well because it it just it did have an impact but obviously the Lib Dems had a very firm line and unfortunately for me Lots of these websites were telling people to vote Lib Dem <laughs> to keep the Tories out, um, which I found a bit frustrating, given that we were definitely a three-way marginal and, and people didn't have to make the decision about tactical voting in Sheffield Hallam because it is one of the few places where your vote really, really counts and, and you are likely to get more of a say over who becomes your MP. You know, I, I represent the seat where Irvin Patnick, <laughs> infamous Tory, uh, was an MP and Nick Clegg and now now me so you know over that kind of time period and a few of us in between we've seen a whole range of different strong political views represent the seat so it is that kind of different seat from other parts of Sheffield and South Yorkshire and and broader Yorkshire as well but there's similarities to some other places but I think it's quite unique in its own own way. So I just wanted to touch on that. It seems like from your campaigns, even, you know, from calling out Nick Clegg before you even got stuck into being an MP and maybe, I don't know if my years are right, predicting the coalition before it happened, because I'm not going to lie, that would be a fantastic brag if you if that if that is the case, um, to, to saying to being the person on the Lib Dem bar chart, the infamous bar charts that every every single Labour activist, the Lib Dem bar chart um, that we've we've all known to see. And that we all, you know, obviously hate to hate, but hate to love in a strange kind of way. What's it like being on the bar chart, knowing that you actually have the best chance of winning and having to deal with 
maybe centrist but also Lib Dem bias and that kind of uh, outrageous ability that the Lib Dems think that they can just naturally win everywhere all the time despite the fact that they don't have a fraction of the resources that the Labour Party does. Mm. I mean they threw so much at the seat and I think because Nick Clegg had been the MP before they had quite a lot in their coffers that we just didn't have so our campaign absolutely has to be people powered and and um you know, we didn't we didn't have as much cash as I think they did. They put out so many leaflets. It was like seven a week at one point. It was a little bit intense. And because we kind of thought that, that we might have a by-election, our kind of leading time to that general election was a, a bit longer. So we felt like we'd been campaigning like triple the amount of time anyone else had been um, kind of at that level of intensity. So it was it was kind of strange. And I think it did take a lot of convincing of people. I, I don't think if we just had the short campaign, we, we could have won. I think we needed to do that groundwork over the two years before when I was selected to keep going back to people and keep trying to open up that conversation and and really speak to the issues that matter to them. We focused on, you know, a lot of people work in public services. So we, we spoke about that a lot. And that's something I'm really passionate about. I've had a role in the NHS before. And, you know, obviously I've committed a lot of my time to local government. And previously I was a biomedical scientist. And that's what my PhD, which I did not complete, <laughs> would have been in. Because politics got in the way, um, but in a good way. And yeah it's kind of like it's how you can have that conversation on so many different levels I think and I think there's a lot of people who are very middle of the road but actually when you scratch the surface of that do want radical change so you know they do care about refugees they do care about the climate crisis they do want to see more investment in the NHS and schools and better outcomes for their kids like I mean it's not rocket science and you know housing is another big issue that comes up all the time I think that as long as we're speaking to those kind of core values of people there's there's much more that Labour can offer to to people than than um, perhaps we have previously and I think it is very telling that whilst under Jeremy Corbyn we won the seat twice and we've never won it before and I think that it is because of that kind of traditional radicalism of the Labour Party that some some members have held throughout which kind of links very strongly to liberalism as well actually and predating predating our party that that really really strikes a chord with with people in our seat it's a very interesting demographic and it's a very interesting seat to represent. So saying that, you've obviously just spoken a lot about those values, those Labour values and connecting on the doorstep with what people want to speak to you about and connecting with them on the issues that they really care about, whatever they may be. So what do you think the Labour Party's biggest challenges going forward, having given that answer? I think it's really about how we can build a coalition. I I think that that has to be the biggest challenge for us. And I think that is what we managed to pull off in Hallam people who had previously voted Tory voting for us we had people who were normally vote green voting for us we had people who voted Lib Dem their whole lives voting for us you know it 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 is really about trying to open up the conversation almost break down the kind of stereotypes of political parties and kind of focus on the policy you know I just spoke about the policies all the time that's what matters to people people want to see improvements in their lives if you can make it real for them in their local area and what actually it will mean for them. If I'm talking to someone in Stannington who is, you know, very reliant on a bus service, if if there's not an offer there locally, if we're not talking about that issue in a fairly radical way, to be honest, then people people won't engage. You know, they want their buses to be cleaner and greener, but they also want them to be cheap and, and effective. And that might sound like a really run-of-the-mill issue 
but actually it's huge when it comes to government policy and spending. So I think it's about making sure that we make the bigger picture stuff, greening our economy, reduce emissions, increasing nature and biodiversity, mean something locally. And I think we can do that effectively. And I think the more we learn from from those sorts of conversations and the more that we can drive the agenda, the better we will do at building that coalition that we need to see. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I think we're going to move on a little bit to to your brief now. And if if any of our listeners have watched the news, which you know is pretty much unavoidable these days, they might have noticed that across the world at the moment we're having a lot of pretty significant episodes of flooding that bring up a lot of challenges that countries have to um, deal with to protect life and protect livelihoods. Do you think the Environment Agency, the UK Environment Agency, has taken enough precautions to build climate resilience? in our country i think you know just to, just to say like obviously it's not just flooding as well we've got wildfires and heat waves that are killing a lot of people across america too so i think this this moment is is a wake up call and should be for everyone uh, do i think we're doing enough of course we're not is the environment agency doing enough i think they're struggling with funding so is natural england and i think that the government have promised a lot of money that they've not delivered And it's actually very, very difficult for the Environment Agency to make the case for kind of nature based solutions, which could be really transformative because of the way the funding formula is set up at the moment. So that's a very techie answer. (laughs) Sorry. But um, yeah, of course, of course, there's so much more to do. And I think the Environment Agency are doing their best in the situation. But, you know, we've had years and years and years of underfunding. The government only really respond when there is a flood. They're not proactive enough. And they they don't have a grip of this issue. And I think that that is felt by communities up and down the country. And we know that there's a significant gap in spending on flood defences between areas that are higher risk and areas that aren't. So, you know, we're not getting the funds into the right places at the moment. Uh, Yorkshire being one of those areas, but there are there are a few others as well who we're expecting to see significant flood issues in future years so I think it's about how we can change the conversation to be able to talk about how we can maximize the kind of the the ways we try and reduce that risk and how we can encourage people to kind of take their own actions and that includes developers of of new homes and, and has to link closely with people in planning so planning to have those cross portfolio kind of conversations with colleagues in them housing and local government uh, because because these are critical issues that affect us all but yeah and we've got a huge problem with the way water is kind of managed at the moment in the UK it's different in Wales they have a not-for-profit companies looking after their water we we rely on private companies you know this last week or two <laughs> you know we've seen 90 million pound fines being doled out for for sewage dumping in in our riverways and waterways and and coastal areas as well so I think you know Clearly, there's a bigger problem with water on top of that issue with flooding and the way we manage our water at the moment. So that's something that I'm very excited about, kind of leading the policy on and trying to unpick a bit, because without fixing one, I don't think we can fix the other. So off the back of that, in November, later on this year, there will be COP26 in Glasgow, where the world's great and the good, and obviously some politicians as well, will be in Glasgow talking about how we can improve, uh, how we can solve this climate crisis and maybe start a new beginning, maybe have a Green New Deal. What do you realistically expect from this government to come up with on COP26, providing obviously that they're not climate crisis uh, involved, but also we are the host nation? 
Yeah, I mean, we had a debate on this in Parliament yesterday, and I think you know it's quite clear from the floods. I should have said this in in my last answer that governments across Europe are waking up to the real risks of this, and there's a building of consensus right across the political spectrum about the need for urgent action now in other countries. And I think, unfortunately, we have a lot of government rhetoric on nature and biodiversity targets and and, and carbon targets that they keep on missing. They're very bad at keeping themselves in check and very bad at delivery but they're very good at spinning this and I think the risk of COP is that we are complacent and we we don't make a big enough noise around it and I think that we need to put all the pressure we can on for this government to be robust and go into this actually leading the way. I think that there is a huge risk that we we are kind of led by other people's opinions in these talks and I don't think that we have a lot of credit with people in terms of legitimacy and and kind of like the way we're viewed internationally on this issue I think that we think that funding fossil fuel projects abroad is still fine you know that they we haven't delivered on on a lot of the things in the Paris uh, agreement and there's there's things like cutting (laughs) the aid budget which a lot of which is going climate resilient which just really flies in the face of being a leader in this space. You know, this was such an opportunity. Um, and I just feel that it's been really half-hearted so far. We saw from the G7 how weak, actually, that they're taking seriously these issues that could have been a real opportunity to do something very dramatic on biodiversity in particular, because we can't deal with one crisis without dealing with the other. They're so interlinked that, you know, if you don't get nature and biodiversity right, you're going to impact it 10 times worse on on climate crisis. So it's really, really important that we just continue to keep up pressure. And I'd encourage anyone to get in touch with their MP around this issue. I think that parliamentarians in general are very supportive of this agenda. But yeah, and I think, you know, I've been meeting with Labour for a Green New Deal. Uh, I think that a Green New Deal is is possible. I think it's one of the few answers that we have to a very difficult, a difficult issue. And, you know, we can't say on one hand that we want to look after people and then, on the other hand, destroy our habitats and homes. We can't say that we want to protect the environment, and then that means that people are left behind. We have to have a Green New Deal, which encompasses both people and planet, and has that just transition at its heart, and brings people along with it with us. So we don't have the kind of disasters of like closure of the coal industry of the 80s, um, which still scars South Yorkshire and other places to this day in terms of how far behind communities have been left. So I think there's, it's honours to be pragmatic, but also to be ambitious for our communities in, in the face of this. And there are huge opportunities. And to be honest, we have a lot of the answers already. You know, solar, why aren't we investing more in solar? That's an answer. We're, we're now getting obsessed with hydrogen. Fine, but we've already got solar for heat and water. Why aren't we talking more about wind? Why aren't we talking more about tidal and hydro? These are long established ways of making energy. And that's one part of it. But it's also got to be about the way we use our land. It also has to be about the way we pollute, pollute and plastics and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's but it's also got to be about making sure that we're not leaving communities behind. And I think that for me is where the opportunities are for really building a strong message about how we're going to really transform our economy to be fairer, but also make sure that there are opportunities for young people who've been particularly badly hurt by the pandemic. How do you think that young Labour members or just young people on the left can 
get into politics and how do you think they can actually make change in terms of campaigning against climate change? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone should get involved. (laughs) I don't think that you can't change things. I think think that's the one thing that I would always say to everyone, you can. I am a great believer in organising and campaigning. I think that more young people should join trade unions and learn those skills and really get involved in that part of the movement if they're working as well, or even if they're students. I think that we, you know, you can start small, start in your local neighbourhood. If you want to make change in your local neighbourhood, start there. But if you want to go go big as well don't be afraid to there's so many other passionate people out there who will care about what you're interested in and you can build great networks of people to make change and don't be afraid to approach your member of parliament as well and ask for advice on how to run a good campaign and things like that or get them get them involved most people who are in politics do actually want to make positive change might not seem like that all the time but it's definitely I'm a bit more of an optimist on on activism than I think a lot of people are and I think that you can, can make a huge difference and you can actually make a huge impact. When I was a councillor, you know, we saw the the living and <laughs> the income of many of the staff improve under my kind of management of the budget. You know, we, we insourced services and that might sound quite small, but it's huge to individuals and, and the job security that that's bought and things like that. You can have a big impact on people if you get involved in politics and become a politician if you want. Stand for, stand for different levels of local government get involved in your Labour Party branch and you know be the voice in the room because if you're not there then how can you achieve what you want to achieve so yeah that's kind of my optimistic call to arms so (laughs) there you go you can make a difference and you can make big change and I certainly feel like I've managed to do that by being an MP and and some of the campaigns that I've picked up on it can be quite empowering and, and make you feel like you can can change things and you can't You don't just have to sit on the sidelines and wait for someone else to do it. So off the back of that answer, which I thought not alone was a very good call to arms, but it's actually evidenced by the work that you have done previously in your career. You said it, you said obviously at the beginning of the interview, uh, you came into politics by going on demonstrations when you were 14. And that's, I think, a fantastic sign of someone very young getting involved in the world around them and the democratic process, which obviously uh, us on the left, we on the left wingers uh, really endorse and support. So if you, if you know, tomorrow Boris came to you and said, you know, you've got one policy change, you've got one rule, you've got one law, and only you can make it. And whatever it is, it's going to happen for the rest of time. But you've got to let me know now. What would you say and why? <laughs> oh, this is so so many things. I've got so many things going on. Am I allowed four? <laughs> no, I think I think like on then, and we'll rank them. Go on. Then. <laughs> so I think for me, like the big one is around nature and 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 kind of like protecting biodiversity and how we can do much more to do that. And and I'd, I'd like to see a reversal in the in the kind of decline. If we could do that, I'd be be a very happy woman. But then I've got some other interests with, with the background that I have. I've been campaigning on maternity rights and miscarriages, and I would like to end the three miscarriage rule, which is you're not able to get support until you've had three miscarriages to find out what's gone wrong and very little mental health support is available. So that's another big thing I've been campaigning on. Eating disorders is another one that I'm really interested in and and just terrified at how big those waiting lists have got. So I would make sure that there was a um, waiting list time for adults for eating disorder services, which might sound like a small thing, but many people are waiting years to get basic support. And that's something that I think is really, really wrong. And then the final one, 
<laughs> is about peatlands and I would I would stop them burning any of our peatlands because they're amazing carbon stores and the government I've been pressuring the government since I was elected on this and they've bought in a ban but it's so minimal and it only protects 40% of our peatlands and the climate change committee have said we need to protect 100% of our peatlands and if you don't know what a peatland is google it they're fascinating and um they're basically our rainforests and store as much carbon as the whole of the forests in France, Germany and the UK. So we're very lucky to have them here in England and Scotland and Wales. Yeah, <laughs> so they're my four. <laughs> they're all a bit niche. Apparently. Yeah, I mean, they're all really minor as well. I mean, like, you know, do you, do you even need to? You could do it on your own in your free time. Uh, no, they're all really important issues. So I think that was really amazing that you raised them. Um, we've done several. We've done uh, one prominent um, episode a couple of months back about uh, young people dealing with their mental health during the crisis because we felt especially that just wasn't being spoken about. So it's so great to hear an MP saying that and who understands what we've been speaking about for a long time on the left wingers. Oh, absolutely. Thank you again, Olivia, for joining us today. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, or give us a like on Facebook. Don't forget to tell other people about us. It's how we grow our podcast. Keep whinging, and we'll see you soon. Bye.